Hello, and welcome to PDA, Neurodivergence, and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning and growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and others to speak out on this condition, as well as providing resources for those who want to learn more. If you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. Now, let's launch into this episode's topic. So I read an article on the Spectrum News website recently that I thought was kind of interesting, and I'll link it below if anyone would like to read it, as well as the other article I'm going to talk about, too. Um, Here in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, has given this breakthrough device designation to this device called Strand X. The device itself is intended to aid in the prediction and diagnosis of autism in children. According to the article, the test called Strand X analyzes the levels of chemicals in a strand of a child's hair to capture a snapshot of their exposome, which is some of their cumulative environmental exposures and how they regulate certain essential nutrients. The measure suggests how a person's physiology responds to their environment, which can predict their chances of having autism. So when the doctor shared Declan's diagnosis with us, we talked at length about the research into how autism develops. Obviously, I knew it wasn't because of vaccines, because that's been proven false. She said that they know it's something that develops prenatally, right, Um, while they're still in the womb. But they're still researching to kind of find out what it is that triggers that development. In my family, we have a few autistic people, so I was kind of curious as to whether or not, you know, it was a genetic marker, and that's a potential too, but again, they're still kind of studying. We also talked about how autism seems to be more prevalent now. Um, I'm not sure I fall in line with the camp that says autism is becoming more common, I think more we have a better understanding of autism now and all of its profiles, well, not all of them, but different profiles. And so it's being more accurately diagnosed than in previous years. So it was probably the same amount of prevalence. We just didn't have the knowledge to be able to recognize it. And again, That's my theory as a layperson. I do not pretend to have the knowledge of doctors and professionals studying this um, diagnosis have, right? Those careers are exceedingly interesting, but they required far too much math in college for my taste or ability. Um, So I will uh, have some theories, but I will defer to their knowledge. So back to the device, right? The company developing the test for the device, which is Linus Biotechnology, did a previous study on not hair, but teeth, right? Baby teeth of children with autism um, and neurotypical children as well. They used like a twin study. Um, They analyzed the baby teeth from like 13 sets of twins 
in which at least one twin had autism. And then they tested 19 sets of neurotypical twins. The researchers basically found that the children with autism had less zinc and manganese and higher levels of lead in their baby teeth than the uh, neurotypical twins did. So baby teeth, they kind of compared it to like rings of a tree because baby teeth actually begin to form in your utero. And that's when autism develops as well. And so the rate of absorption of these metals, they think could be part of the indicator of autism, right? Because they noticed that whenever they went to essentially the rings, right, of the baby teeth that had developed in utero and bypassed the ones that hadn't, they used like a whole laser process. Um, like I said, I'll link the article so you can um, get more information on it if you want to. But when they got to the portion of the tooth that had developed in utero, um, they were able to find that, you know, levels of zinc and manganese began to drop off in the autistic twins, um, and where it didn't drop off in the neurotypical twin. And so they were able to see that, you know, also lead levels increased, um, when there's, whenever they checked that on the neurotypical children, it was pretty steady across the board. So it did reveal some interesting findings, but it's obviously something that they have to, uh, continue to look at. But they were, the researchers were able to sort of use a laser to extract that material from the region of each tooth where the parts that had formed in utero were. And then they used like mass spectrometry, mass spectrometry, try that again, <laughs> to measure those levels of zinc, manganese, and lead. And honestly, they, the information they were collecting was the bit from the the time in utero was about 150 days before birth, but they also tested some of the portions of the tooth from after birth, like 200 days after birth as well. So it showed that, you know, the autistic children had those declining levels of absorption and those higher levels of lead. Um, the only hang-up is, while that did kind of prove conclusive between the autistic and the neurotypical uh, children, they don't know that it's something specific to autism because the study only included autistic and neurotypical children. And according to Heather Volk, who was interviewed for the article on the dental study, she says that lead, for example, is a known neurotoxin and is linked to general impairments in cognitive ability. And so she kind of states that further studies, including children with other neurodivergent or de developmental conditions, needed to be conducted in order to sort of validate these findings and prove them as more um, exclusive to autism, right? Um, the researchers that are conducting these studies, the people at Linus uh, Biotech and, and others, did urge, like, absolute caution uh, in interpreting those findings. They are not in any way advocating that pregnant women 
needed to take zinc or manganese supplements based on those results because, you know, there's they're not trying to advocate for anything like that. Like the metal differences could just kind of reflect variability in how much the child absorbed or incorporated um, into their teeth. So they weren't trying to use that study to push women to take any sort of supplements in general. Um, Now, the Strand X device, though, does not deal with teeth, right? So later on, they, you know, obviously worked on a different study with hair. And part of that is hair can be tested far earlier, right? Since unlike baby teeth, you don't have to wait for them to cut, grow in, and later fall out in order to be tested. The article also said that the developers hope that with some further development, the Strand X device could help to identify subtypes of autism, not just saying someone it you know is diagnosed with ASD but more specifically which subtype and of course we all know PDA being a profile of autism you know is there you know is there some sort of marker that's specific to it right that's something they're hoping to sort of develop further down the road it's not something they're sort of road mapping or predicting when they'll be able to do that but they're hoping that they could expand that later um, they also want to make this more than just a diagnostic tool, right? They're hoping that this can be used to track a patient's progress and see how they're reacting to um, certain therapies, how that's affecting their exposome, right? Now, Manish Aurora, who is the co-founder of Linus Biotech in New York, and also the Edith J. Bearwald Professor and Vice Chairman of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at the Econ School of Medicine in Mount Sinai, New York, uh, submitted an article. Uh, he and his team submitted an article for peer review regarding like the analysis of Strandex. How does it work? What is it looking for? What are these markers, etc.? Um, but it has not been published yet. Aurora was not able to sort of share... Uh, the journal or the article information because of the um, the policies of the journal itself. So that we do not have information on just yet, but they are sort of putting this information out there for other professionals to sort of peer review and look at it. And that hopefully will give more professionals in the field the ability to sort of weigh in on how they see the efficacy of this tool compared to, say, the current diagnostic tools used to identify autism. Um, The way that the process does, or the explanation of the process given in the article said to use StrandX, a clinician would request a kit to collect a hair sample from a child, and that would be returned to the company. The company would then provide the analysis to the clinician to use in conjunction with other information, such as the behavioral observations and family history. Uh, Aurora said that the technology is intended to help predict the likelihood that a child has autism from birth to 18 months of age, and then to assist in the diagnosis from 18 months to 21 years, right? Right. Because obviously, 
when you are in those earlier years, it's harder for them to diagnose autism unless it's something that is far more prevalent, like, for instance, the nonverbal autistic children. Um, but, you know, in those early years, it's it's a little bit harder to use kind of the current diagnostic tools used for older children. Um, I know whenever Declan went in, the doctor told us, you know, he's, he's seven, so he's right there kind of um, on that cusp of where it becomes a little bit easier to sort of get that, that diagnosis in place. Now, on the opposing end of that, the article also interviewed a few people who are sort of reserving judgment and have some concerns. One of those people was Gary Miller, who is a professor of environmental health sciences at Columbia University. And he expressed some reservations about using hair because the first centimeter or so of hair growing from a follicle generally only reflects the past 30 days of someone's exposure. Collecting multiple samples over time may help, but by then, a person might be able to obtain a diagnosis using other measures, using the current diagnostic measures, right? His worry is that it may be almost an unnecessary step. And he said, like, the question is, how many samples do you need to see that trajectory of absorption? And if you need six months of data, you could be clinically diagnosed by then. So then what really would be the point if, I mean, nothing else than to back up an existing diagnosis, right? Another person who is, albeit cautiously optimistic, but also reserving judgment is Stephen Scheinkampf, who is the executive director of the Thompson Center for Autism and Neurodevelopmental Disorders at the University of Missouri. His concern is that as our knowledge of autism grows, there are shifts in the diagnostic boundaries, right? He said the field is still grappling with how broadly we should define autism. That creates a major challenge for developing tests like this. He did note, however, that if concrete markers can be found for specific subtypes of autism, that would be a remarkably beneficial uh, thing for the field. So the next step, honestly, in this whole process of being sort of fast-tracked by the FDA is that Linus is going to have to conduct a much larger study. And the company is hoping that for this one, they can get the participation of about 5,000 children so that they can get a wider um, group, right? I suddenly lost the uh, word there. <laughs> but that will give them uh, a wider view of other children. And hopefully, you know, like some other people uh, suggested, they can include children with other sort of neurodivergent conditions to see whether or not this is something that is, you know, exclusive to autism. I have noticed, I will say, that in my autism parenting board and the PDA parenting board, some parents have talked about starting their children on supplements of manganese and zinc with some success. Now, I am in no way 
just like the article, I am in no way advocating for anyone to do that based on what I'm telling you. Um, I, as always, I think you should check with your medical professional before starting your child or yourself on any supplements to make sure that they will not counteract any medication already in use. Heck, whenever um, Declan's primary care doctor had suggested getting him, you know, starting him on magnesium, um, she, you know, said, but, you know, check with the psychiatrist because his psychiatrist is who uh, sort of handles his ADHD and uh, uh, anxiety meds and all of that. So I spoke to him and that was something that was okay to add to it. Um, but, you know, always, always check to make sure because you never know what supplements could interact or counteract a medication you're on and or, or your child's on um, and you don't want to cause any problems there, right? Honestly, though, personally, I support anything that will help raise the awareness and make the world a less judgmental of the varying ways that autistic people react to their environments and to social situations, right? I mean, honestly, there's still a lot of ground to cover. We still have a ways to go with regard to acceptance. I think awareness has become better. I think there is more visibility, more awareness of autism in general. Certain profiles of autism like PDA definitely still have a ways to go with awareness, but all of them still have struggles in acceptance, right? The world is built for neurotypical people. And anyone who is neurodivergent or has a neurodivergent child, you very quickly become attuned to seeing exactly what that means, right? You start to notice all of these things that are sort of stacked against neurodivergent people and all of the ways that people without any knowledge of someone's situation judge neurodivergent people. You know, you will, will be out and Declan will say something and people will give us side eye, but it's, my child is not some horribly awful, disrespectful, evil thing. He is just a child who reacts differently. He is not someone who observes conventional social rules. You know, that's not how his brain is wired. And luckily no one has, you know, sort of popped off and said anything, because I'm a pretty protective mom and I will not let someone make my child feel bad um, for being who he is. But, you know, I know that that happens to people and I know that judgment is, is difficult. And so that's why I feel like we still have a long way to go with acceptance. And if, you know, there is a device that can help aid in understanding how and why people react certain ways um, if the you know study of these exposomes can give more information and really just help to advocate for creating a more balanced and accessible world to neurodivergent people, then I'm all for it. But honestly, you know, we all want to make the world better for our children. I think that, that this device potentially has some merit in aiding diagnosis, but I think I'm going to side with the professionals on this one that more information is needed. Um, 
But I would honestly love to know what all of you think about it. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, obviously. You can send them over, email me, let me know what you think. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on social media. Just search PDA Neurodivergence and the Perpetually Determined Advocate on Facebook or Instagram. And until next time, remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.